You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. There is a moment when the sun disappears, when darkness falls and you're left with just your fears. That's the moment you feel your first pang of doubt. That's the moment when the night comes out. Episode 8, Mythos, Part 2 For as long as humans have walked the earth, we have given power to certain objects around us, objects we deem sacred or spiritual. Yet for a man whose only religion is his logic, like the detective in this tale, it might seem that an object only has as much power as a person gives it. But what happens when this private eye is suddenly faced with the possibility that there's more to the world than what we see on the surface? How will he deal with the many facets of reality when the night comes out? Chapter 11 the box. I sat at my desk as Tracy bore holes in my head with her eyes from the doorway of my office. She kept looking from where Adam had just been walking and then back to me. I hoped that my face had not turned red and I wasn't sweating, but given my normal state of being when I am confused, embarrassed, and angry, I was probably both red and sweating. Well? She finally asked. I shook my head. I think I just took a new case. I have no idea what the hell just happened. I picked up the huge stack of dollar bills on my desk and flicked through it. I then looked back up into Tracy's amber eyes and shrugged. She walked into the office and took the bills and did her own flip through them. She whistled and then sat down in the same chair Adam had been sitting in. She crossed her legs and fixed her skirt almost unconsciously. So, what's the case? She asked. I am supposed to find some kind of artifact that, in turn, leads the way to some ancient book. I said, and then raised my eyebrows. 
Tracy raised hers right back, but did not burst out laughing. I had to give her credit for that. Here's the kicker. I think I already have the damn thing. Then here's the next kicker. I think that guy might have had something to do with Carl's death. Her eyes got wide. Then she looked down at the bills in her hand and grimaced. As if the bills might have been poisoned, she threw them at me. They thwacked against my left shoulder and fell to the ground. Explain. She said simply, and the look of anger and outrage on her face nearly made me wither in my chair. He said that he runs some kind of writers and artists retreat up north, I said. He also said that Carl had been there and that he had actually been hired to find this artifact. The artifact itself is a simple black rectangle with some kind of writing on it. The thing isn't very big. As if I were performing some kind of magic trick, I reached down and produced the puzzle box. I put it on the desk with a kind of flourish. Tracy looked at me and then down at the box, and her eyes lit up. You think it's in there? She said. I would bet money on it. I said. We need to get that guy who's an expert on puzzles and games. Carl used to know him and hang with him. Do we still have all of our old contacts? She rolled her eyes. Of course. What the hell do you think I am? Why not just smash the thing open? What if I damage this artifact? I asked. I doubt they'll pay for a broken artifact. Her eyes got big again, and I saw her flush in anger. You think these people may have been at least partly responsible for your friend's death, and you're going to get them what they wanted? Not only what they wanted, but what they might have killed your friend over? You're not going to take this to the police? I have no evidence, I replied. I have theories. I don't even know for sure that the damn thing is inside here. I have no evidence they had anything to do with Carl's death. I have some weird things that happened to me when I was at his apartment, and a strange person who stood outside my apartment last night and told me to expect Adam here this morning. It's all very weird and downright creepy, but none of it is an admission to murder. Wait, she said and held up a hand. You had better rewind and tell me what happened last night. So, I told her. She went from sitting there, looking at me in a mixture of anger and disgust, to sitting forward in the chair and looking at me with ever-growing alarm. When I had finished, the looks of anger had changed to looks of worry and downright concern. That is by far the creepiest thing I have ever heard of, she said. And you just sat here and talked to the guy? You're still thinking of handing over this, this thing to him? Who knows what they want it for? It's a book, I said. They ultimately want to find some book. It's probably all a bunch of crap. They're probably just a bunch of nuts and nerds. You know, exactly the kind of people Carl liked to hang out with. But they may have killed him. And as soon as I have some kind of concrete proof of that, I said as I reached out to grab the puzzle box, then I will turn everything I have over to the police and they can raid their little compound and turn it into Illinois' Waco. That's not funny, she said. I'm really creeped out that he was here and he knows where we work. I spent a lot of time in this office alone while you're out gallivanting around. Don't worry, I said as I stood up and walked toward a filing cabinet. I opened it without looking at it and then rooted around for a Rolodex. 
I don't think they have any interest in you. They want their book and then they'll disappear. Now, I need you to find out what you can about their little compound up north. I want to know what I might be walking into when I get up there. She stood up, and her glare was in fine form. I don't like this. I want that on the record. Duly noted. I said as I began rooting through the Rolodex. I finally found the name I wanted and removed it from the device. I need to go visit this games guy. I think he'll be able to get this damn box open. Great. She said from her desk. Just leave me here after Min Jim Jones just left. I appreciate that. I put on my jacket and baseball cap. Then I walked past her, holding the puzzle box. You know I adore you. What would I do without you? She did not return my smile. I shut the door behind me and headed back out into the cold. Chapter 12. The Games Man I got into my car and it started right up. Outside, the wind blew and the sky was gray. I watched snow blow across the hood of my car for a bit and let the engine warm up. For a moment, just for a fraction of a second, I thought I saw someone staring at me from the corner of a house across the street. It was just a feeling that there were eyes looking at me, and then, when I turned my head, it was gone. There was just grayness and more wind and a house also looking gray, as if the grayness of the day itself were sucking the color right out of the homes. I shifted into drive and headed for the address I had found a few minutes before. It was a long ride and I had plenty of time to think. However, I was completely unable to focus on any one thought. My brain seemed filled with a billion different images and thoughts, and each of them were as elusive as trying to hold tightly to Quicksilver. I could reach no conclusions about anything. I still had no clearer idea of what had happened to Carl. I still didn't know what to make of Adam or anything he had said. I still wasn't sure what to make of his demands or what to do with his money. I looked at the puzzle box that sat on the passenger seat next to me. I knew in my heart of hearts that inside the damn thing was the small artifact that Adam was looking for. What it really said or contained or what the artifact was really any good for was anyone's guess. I had my doubts that some mystical book existed somewhere that would be of any interest to anyone. I figured that maybe the thing inside the puzzle box might sit in a museum somewhere. Then again, why would anyone want to kill over something like that? Why had Carl tried to hide it? I pulled up in front of the game store. It really wasn't much more than a glass storefront window set among many others along the street. The difference was that this glass storefront had boxes of games where the player could be a wizard or an elf or a superhero or perhaps a spy. There were also models of planes and cars and other things on display. Inside this place, though, I hoped to find answers. I had met Carl here once after he had left our partnership. We had fallen out of touch for a bit, and then suddenly, I had gotten an email from him. He met up with others who liked to play the same role-playing game here several times a week. He asked if I would meet him there and then, perhaps, head out to dinner after. It had been a very interesting evening, although the game had been completely incomprehensible to me. I stepped into the biting wind and walked across the bustling street. All around me were people walking and carrying bundles. I had almost completely forgotten that Christmas was approaching. 
Already, the darkness was starting to encroach upon the day. Christmas lights twinkled all around me. I pushed open the door, and a bell jingled somewhere. You must be the detective, said a voice from near the back of the shop. The shop was perhaps half a dozen shelves filled with games and models and other hobbies. Then, near the back, were a couple of rooms with large glass windows, and inside, there were tables for games players. In the middle, there was a small door and an office inside that. The man to whom the voice belonged to was standing there. Yes, I am afraid I must, I said as I walked toward the back of the store. He was not very tall. He was shorter than me at the very least. His hair was long and stringy and blonde. He was attempting to grow a mustache and a bit of a beard, but it instead looked as if he had randomly glued bits of hair on his face and chin. He must have been in his mid-twenties, but his face still bore the pits and scars from acne during his younger years. Well, come on in, and I promise not to get any geek germs on you, he said and gave a soft low chuckle that caused me to cock my head to the side strangely. Any friend of Carl's is a friend of mine. He was a good customer, and actually he spoke about you quite a bit. It's a pleasure to meet you. We finally met amidst the shelves. His handshake was surprisingly strong. I sniffed, the cold having caused my nose to start dripping. I reached into my coat pocket and removed the box. This is the box I told you about over the phone, I said. He nodded and reached out to clutch the smooth wooden cube. He smiled once he held it. Then he chuckled. This is one of mine, he said. Carl loved these things. He was fascinated by them. He always wanted ones that were more complicated, more perfect, more difficult to open. Where'd you find this? I sighed. I don't know if I should tell you. He just stood there looking at me. Really? It was in Carl's apartment, I said at last. I think he got involved with some rather strange people, and I think he hid something inside it. I just couldn't get the damn thing opened. Is it dangerous? He asked. I shrugged. I don't know. Do you think they killed Carl over it? He asked as he looked at his handiwork. I wish I knew, I said, but I think it's a possibility. He stood there looking at the box for a time. Then he seemed to go through a number of emotions at once. Finally, he looked up at me. His crooked smile came across his face again. Let's head into one of those back rooms, he said. Let's see what Carl's put inside this thing. Outside, the wind howled longer and harder for just a moment. Although I was nowhere near a draft, I shuddered anyway. Chapter 13. Talisman Me and my new friend headed into the back of the store. We took the room to the right. Inside, there wasn't much. There was a kind of long conference room table with some simple folding chairs. Anything else that might appear in these rooms would likely have been brought by the people who were using it. He sat down at the end of the table and began turning the box over and over in his hands. I remember making this one, he said. This is just a hobby of mine. I do a lot of woodworking stuff at home. I nodded and made some kind of humming sound to let him know I was listening. 
In fact, my heart was pounding. My feet were sweating. I could feel more beads of sweat running down the back of my neck. I took off my coat and put it on the back of a chair. He kept turning the box over and over in his hands. Can you stop admiring it and just open it? I asked. He smiled up at me. See, no respect for craftsmanship in your line of work. Without even turning back to what he was doing, and with his eyes still locked on mine, he slid his thumb over a spot on the opposite side of the box from where I was standing. Suddenly, a small panel of wood slid up over the top of the box. Then, with a twist of his hand, the bottom half of the wooden block swung away. Then, he tilted the box slightly so I could look inside. Jesus. I whispered, and my eyes grew wide. That caused his smirk to fade for a moment. He turned to see what was in his hands, I think momentarily afraid a nest of insects or snakes had just crawled out and into his lap. Instead, his eyes grew wide too. He tilted the box and the thing inside clunked on the table. It was a rectangle. However, just describing it as that did not do it justice. It was the blackest black I had ever seen. It was like a hole in reality itself had just thunked itself down on the table in front of me. It was not very big, obviously, to have fit inside this rather small puzzle box. It was also very thin. What the hell is that? He asked. I shook my head and gave a tiny shrug. It was just as Adam had described it. How the hell had Carl found it? What the hell had he been doing since we had last spoken? However he had found it, he had feared it enough to risk his own life and hide it. I reached out and grabbed the small rectangle. I felt, for just a moment, a brief crackle of energy as I gripped it. I shook my head as if to clear it. Certainly I had just imagined that. I held it in my hands. It weighed virtually nothing. One side was completely smooth, like glass. On the other side, when I tilted the object in my hand, I could see had tiny images carved into its smoothness. I couldn't make out what any of those images were. They appeared to be in some symbolic, hieroglyphic language. I ran my thumb across the images. I could just barely feel the tiny inscriptions. Then, suddenly, it was as if my heart stopped. My head felt like it exploded. Images suddenly flooded my brain. My entire body went rigid as if electricity was shooting through it. The images came fast. I saw a world unlike anything that existed today, with great cities built of stone. Creatures wandered the streets of this city, and their horrific appearance was beyond description. I saw another image of a huge creature with huge membranous wings, claws, and scales. Its face was a mass of swarming, twitching tentacles. Then suddenly I was whisked down a tunnel and saw a book. The ink of the book was a hideous brownish color, except for the bottommost paragraphs. There, the ink was red, and it ran down the edges of the page. The book was huge, sitting on a high pedestal inside some kind of throbbing, living cave. I knew without even touching it that the cover of the book was made from leather made from human flesh. Then, just like that, it was over.
I was on the floor. The games man was standing over me and talking to me. At first, it seemed like he was talking from a very long way away. Then he became clear. The look of fear made me chuckle. Help me up, I said weakly. What the hell just happened? He asked. I shook my head. I think it might be better if you know as little about this whole event as possible. Do you understand? This thing and everything surrounding it is very dangerous. His eyes were wide, and he looked exceptionally pale. He nodded. Just go, he said. I put on my coat fast and put the talisman in my coat pocket. I nodded again at the kid and then walked out into the store. I walked fast, my heart pounding as if I had just run a marathon. The images I had seen still bounced in my skull. I pushed open the door and into the cold. I turned right and ran into a dark-haired woman in a long coat, stocking cap, and glasses. I'm sorry, I said. So am I, she replied, and then she hit me with the taser. Chapter 14, Waking Up I woke up inside a van. My first thought was, do they still make vans like this? There was nothing inside the back of the van except for metal and black walls, ceiling, and floor. It was a cargo van with no windows, and I was just rolling around inside of it like loose tools. The van was bouncing over rough roads, and I was bouncing against the metal floor. My head ached, and there was a buzzing sound in my head. My mouth felt coated with cotton, and the muscles throughout my body felt like they were jangling and loose. I doubted I could have stood had I been able to. The van came to a sudden stop, and I slid toward the front. I heard the front door to the van open, and then footsteps outside. Then the door opened. I tried to raise my hands to defend myself, but my arms didn't seem to want to work. I ended up looking at the dark-haired girl that had zapped me outside the store. What the hell did you hit me with? I asked. Jesus, I've never seen a taser like that. She smiled. Sorry, I kind of found it through some acquaintances. It's not your average self-defense device. I needed to make sure you were out. Can you move? I managed to kind of flop crawl my way to the open door. She reached in and helped me into a seated position. Then she produced a bottle of water and lifted it to my lips. I drank hungrily, the water sloshing around my mouth and down my chin and onto my coat. The ice-cold air was also helping to clear my head. I pulled back from the bottle and looked at her. She had removed her stocking cap. Her hair was tied up over her head. She was wearing dark-rimmed glasses. As I had thought when I first saw her, she was beautiful, but she was trying hard not to look that way. My name's Candace, she said. I've been watching you. Join the club, I said. I feel like I'm the star of my own reality television show. Let me guess, you know something about Adam and the group he's running up there. She nodded. I used to be very close to Adam. Very close, if you get my meaning. I nodded. The feeling was starting to come back to my fingertips. He was a pretty normal guy at one time, she said. Then he started to read some strange things. He found himself enraptured with a particular horror writer that you might have heard of. Have you heard of H.P. Lovecraft? 
I nodded again. I was a fan of horror novels. I tended to like the more modern stuff, but I had at least read a few Lovecraft stories. They weren't quite my cup of tea. Then you know about his mythos? She asked. I shook my head. She sighed. It's a series of stories about ancient gods and monsters that he claimed ruled the earth long before man was here. These were giant creatures and creatures that looked nothing like humans. Some of them were even more plant than animal. One of the biggest was the high priest Kululu. He supposedly lived in a great city called Relie. Eventually, the world changed and the city sank. He now lays dormant at the bottom of the sea where he waits to be reawakened. Once that happens, he will awaken the rest of the old ones and rule the earth again. I didn't say anything. I managed a kind of shrug. Of course, everyone believed it was all fiction. Even Adam felt it was all fiction at first. Then, the more he kept reading, the more convinced he became that it was all real. The more obsessed he became, the stranger he became. He became obsessed with finding all written materials about the mythos. Eventually, he was like some kind of addict. All he had time for was searching. She paused then. A tear crept from one eye and ran down her cheek. He found other people who believed what he believed. Most of them were writers for some reason. He started to believe that writers and artists were more open to the idea of the old ones. They were more in tune with them or something. They began hanging around together. Before I knew it, he was the leader of what amounted to a cult. Then things got scarier and scarier. He began talking about books bound with human flesh, sacrifices, and resurrecting the old ones. What's more is he was absolutely serious. Sacrifice? I asked. She nodded. Yes, those old ones were not passive. They demanded blood and lots of it. I left at some point. I left at the point where the group was talking about performing rituals and finding homeless people to sacrifice. Sweet Jesus, I whispered. I know he hired your friend Carl to find the talisman, she said. I have some people inside his little cult that still stay in touch with me. I tried to warn Carl. Carl seemed to be trying to fool Adam. He was pretending like he believed what Adam was saying, but I think he intended to find the talisman and hide it or run away with it. Adam and his kind got to him before I could do anything. I'm sorry, and I wish I could have done something. I nodded again. So, do you have it? She asked. I managed to move my hand into my pocket, and I removed the small black talisman. I could feel the power in it, throbbing in my hand. I was kind of hoping you hadn't. She said softly. Chapter 15. Vision She looked at the talisman in my hand with a kind of awe that actually shocked me. Given the things she had been saying, I figured she would look at it with scorn. She reached out and touched the small black rectangle tentatively. She ran her finger over the images engraved on the object. She made a small gasping sound. Did you touch it? She asked. I nodded. What did you see? How do you know I saw anything? I asked. That's how it's supposed to work. She replied. From what Adam told me, only certain people are supposed to be able to trigger the thing. Only those with vision, as Adam called it. 
Apparently, certain people are more able to receive the images. That's why Adam spent all of his time with artists and writers, because apparently they were supposed to be more open to this kind of thing. I nodded. Yes, I saw something. I don't know why I would, though. I'm not any kind of artistic type. She shook her head. No, but you see things. As a detective, you're more receptive to things, right? You spend your time reading crime scenes and studying evidence and reading people's facial features and body language. I had to shrug and nod. She was right. The feeling was finally coming back in all of my limbs. I stretched and felt my joints popping. She was now holding the talisman, and she kept running her thumb over the engraved side of the thing. I could see tears were brimming in her eyes. I never thought I would see this thing, she said. I kind of hoped it was just a rumor or an urban legend. What did you see? I sighed. I saw a lot of stuff that I did not understand. I saw monsters and weird-looking cities. Then I saw this book that about scared the hell out of me. She sighed, and her breath was shaky. It was a book written in blood with strange pages and a cover that looked bound in human flesh, right? I nodded, and as I did, the tears finally spilled out of her eyes and down her cheeks. That's the book Adam's been looking for. It's supposedly older than history, although I don't see how that can be as someone had to write the damn thing. It has ancient spells and rituals and things that can raise the old ones. It's supposed to be full of all kinds of power, and Adam's been lusting for it for ages. He thinks he can bring about the end of the world with it. I let that sink in. Then I let out a small laugh. Then the laugh grew. Then I saw she wasn't laughing with me, and I stopped. Are you serious? Wouldn't that kill him too? She shook her head. Since he and his followers would be the worshippers of the Old Ones, they would be spared. The Old Ones would wipe out humanity but save a select few to serve them. Adam actually believes that would be better than what humanity has done to this planet as it stands now. This is the most insane thing I've ever heard, I said. She looked into my eyes, and her fear was evident. Her irises were huge and dark. But you saw the book. You saw the visions. I stood up, and I reached out and took the talisman back. I saw some weird things while I sat in a boiling hot store. I've been attacked and talked to by some of the strangest characters you would ever see, including your Adam. I had one of my best friends murdered, I think, or worse, he committed suicide. Needless to say, my brain is about half fried, and who knows what the hell I saw, or why. I don't understand any of this, and then you shock me and kidnap me and tell me a story about books that can bring about the end of the world? I was raising my voice. I paused and brought the volume back down. I was shaking, and it wasn't because of the taser or the cold. I was angry. I'm a simple guy, I said. I hunt down cheating spouses and look for guys cheating insurance companies with false workers' comp claims. I do background checks. I do not get involved with murders or suicides or cults made up of writers and artists. I am way out over my skis here, and I don't like it. I want to get this damn toy to whomever can use it, and I haven't decided if it should be the police or Adam or what. She stared at me and let the tears stream down her face. 
The cold wind blew the few strands of hair that were leaking out from under her knit cap. She sighed again. I'll take you back to your car, she said. I don't really know what I wanted to do here, but I had to warn you. Next time, try calling me and meeting me for dinner or something, I said. Don't go around shocking people. You might shock someone who's not so accommodating. I walked around to the passenger side of the van. She climbed into the driver's seat. She started the car and then looked at me again. Her eyes were no longer leaking all over her cheeks. She looked pale and tired and scared. I'm going to try to disappear, she said. You may have put that guy who runs the game shop in danger. You may want to warn him. Anyone who touches that thing is in danger. Adam and his people will stop at nothing. You need to know that. Will you be all right? I asked. She shrugged. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter. With that, she shifted into drive and drove off. We didn't speak much after that. Outside the window, it started to snow lightly. The entire world seemed frozen and hard as a rock. Chapter 16 Just Another Death When we arrived near the hobby shop and the place where my car was, the flashing lights immediately created a kind of cold stone in the pit of my stomach. I immediately recognized the detective that had been outside of Carl's apartment and that had called me. It was strange since we were technically in a suburb and he was a Chicago cop, but it also told me that I was likely being followed by more people than I dared think about. That, and the fact that I hadn't been able to tell I was being followed and tracked by that many people, made me think it was time to consider a different career. What the hell is this? Candace asked as she pulled over a couple of blocks away and looked at me in fear. I don't know, I said. That's the hobby store, though. Oh, no, she said. That guy you were talking to in there. I looked at her. What do you mean? I told you, she said. Anyone who touches that thing is in danger. You have to be kidding, I said. I looked back out the front window at the flashing lights. I squinted a bit and saw that the front window of the place was shattered. This cannot be happening. I warned you, she whispered. I nodded. Okay, fine, let me out here. Can you disappear again? You said you could. Can you really do it? She shrugged. I could see tears on her cheeks. I think so. I've done it before. I don't really know. I felt like there should be more that I could say, but nothing came to mind. I felt cold everywhere now. It was as if the cold stone in my gut had spread, and even my fingers felt numb. The heater was blowing hot air into my face, but I felt cold enough that I wanted to shiver my bones into powder. Then do it, I said. I stepped into the cold and felt the snow crunching beneath my shoes. More snow was falling from the sky. The wind was blowing the small flakes into my face, and it felt like tiny shards of glass. I crossed the street and headed directly for the flashing lights. As soon as I got within 50 yards of the place, the detective saw me. He held up a hand. I thought I would find you here, he said. You've been keeping tabs on me, I replied. He nodded. I knew you would get involved. Let's get out of this cold. We need to talk. 
I sighed and shrugged. I don't know if that's wise. Seems like people who talk to me keep ending up in trouble. Was the guy in there killed? He nodded again. His throat was cut with a shard of glass. He was cut so deep they nearly cut his damn head off. There are no fingerprints, however. Nothing so far to show that anyone was even here. We did find a small box in his office, though. You know anything about that? It was my turn to do some nodding. I might. I might have lots of things to tell you. Most of it you won't believe. Most of it I don't believe. He shivered against the cold. Then he looked around the street. A crowd had started to form. Aren't you out of your jurisdiction? I asked. You were seen here, he said. Then we saw the woman take you in the van. We followed, and at some point we heard about what happened here. Then they called me. You're still out of your jurisdiction. And if you were watching, why didn't you do anything when the chick tasered me? We knew you could handle yourself, he said. If things went south, we would have stepped in. What did she tell you? Where is she? That's some of what I need to talk to you about, I replied. And most of what you won't believe, she told me. She's not going to be found, by the way. I sent her away. He thought about that for a moment, and then nodded. Without another word, he walked toward his car. When he got to the door, he looked back at me. I looked around, and then looked longingly at where I had parked my car. Then I walked over and got into the passenger seat. At least the car was still warm. Chapter 17 More Discussions We drove for a while, and I let the silence stretch out between us as we drove through the blowing snow and the tires of the car crunched beneath us. I looked out the passenger window and listened to the sound of the wind and the crunching snow and tried to pretend I was home and warm in bed. I closed my eyes for a moment and realized I was exhausted. I wondered if I looked as exhausted as I felt. We're here, he said as he pulled up in front of a police station just across the border into the city. I nodded. I got out of the car and felt the wind bite through me. It reminded me I was still alive, but it also felt as if it had teeth in it. I felt as if the monsters I had seen in my vision when I had touched the talisman were in the wind itself. Maybe they were, for all I knew. The station was warm. The stares I got from the policemen as I walked past were indifferent. They were bored and glad to be inside where it was warm. The cold kept the streets relatively safe because even killers and drug dealers didn't want to be out in this kind of cold. We walked for what seemed like a very long time, and I was actually sweating beneath my winter jacket by the time we found an empty office. I sat down in a leather chair against a wall. He took off his coat and sat down in a squeaky wooden chair behind the desk. He sighed. Want some coffee or something? He asked. I shook my head. No, not really. What I have to tell you is pretty insane. He nodded. I thought that might be the case. There's some pretty strange people hanging around you these days. I sighed. That's not the least of it. I want to be clear here that I'm not saying I believe anything that some of these nuts have been telling me. I'm just saying that they want something because of what they believe. They want it bad enough I think they killed for it. You could just be looking for justification for your friend's death, he said. You may be looking for something that isn't there. 
I shrugged. You may be right. Do you want to hear my story? He held his hands apart in a kind of shrug, and his mouth turned down as if he wouldn't care much either way. So, I told him the story. To his credit, he didn't interrupt me much. He asked me a question or two here and there to clarify things. I didn't even realize I had as much to tell as I did. By the time I was done, the talisman was in his hands, and my throat was dry from talking. I asked for water, and he got me a paper cup filled with tepid clear liquid that was close enough to water for my throat to be happy. That is quite a story, he said as he turned the black rectangle over and over in his hands. So you think you saw a vision? I sighed and shrugged. Given the crap that these people have been pumping into my head, who knows what I saw? I think I saw something, but what I saw made no sense. What you saw sounds like this book that this guy wants, he said. It could be, I replied. I have no idea. I just know that people keep dying around me, and the first person to die was Carl. He had that thing, and he had it hidden. I keep hearing he was involved in something that I think may have started out as research for a new book. Before long, he was involved with this cult, and now he's dead. That guy Adam is about the creepiest bastard I've run across, and even his ex now thinks he's capable of killing. What's more, he's capable of making other people kill for him. So, you think some kind of strange cult is operating a writer's and artist's retreat in the northern suburbs, and that they're willing to kill to get their hands on this thing here? He indicated the talisman in his hand. Not only that, but they want some kind of book bound in human skin that can bring about the end of the world? I shrugged again. Let's not forget the world has seen cults who thought spaceships were following comets. Is it any stranger than any other cult or religion, really? He thought about that for a moment. No, I guess not. Silence stretched between us. I drank the tepid water. I would have given anything for a beer at that point. So, what should we do? He asked. You're asking me? I'm not a cop. I don't know how these things are supposed to be handled. What I have is a guy who has been investigating something I told him not to investigate. He has evidence that he has been hiding, and some of it he got from a crime scene. He has a bunch of accusations and things, but not a whole heck of a lot of evidence. Right now, if there's anyone I should put in jail, it should be you. I closed my eyes and sighed. I leaned back against the wall. You're right. At this point, if you want to lock me in a cell, I'd feel a lot safer. He chuckled. Then, he twirled the talisman around in his hands for a bit more. After a few moments, he looked me straight in the eye. I don't think I'm going to lock you up, he said. I think maybe you might be onto something here, and these people for some reason trust you. I think that the best way to get more information out of these people is that you keep doing what you need to do. However, I think you need to report back to me as often as possible and every time you learn something. In short, I think you should be working for me. All of this, of course, off the record and completely not endorsed by the Chicago Police Department. I opened my eyes and looked at him. He smiled. I felt exhausted. I felt like I could fall asleep right there on the couch. Fine. I said at last. Chapter 18. 
bad dreams. We talked for a while in the police station. I'm pretty sure I said the right things. I could barely remember any of it when he led me back to his car. The snow was piling up as we drove. He drove slowly, and my brain felt exhausted. Can I take a look around once we get back to the store? I asked. He shrugged. Fine with me. Do you really think you'll learn anything? I shook my head. No, I don't think so. I just feel the need. It took a long time to get there. There was still police tape all over everything, and there were still cops walking the streets. The lights on top of the cars were doing that spastic flashing that they do these days. It was now late enough that the people who live in the tiny apartments above and nearby the hobby store had decided that they weren't going to learn anything more and had gone back home and were hopefully asleep. Sleep still felt like a long way off to me. We parked and I stepped out into the driving snow. The snowflakes were huge and fluffy in that way they get sometimes in Chicago. Usually, it means that the wind and the weather are coming in off the lake. It makes for wet, heavy, thick snow that causes a lot of people a lot of heart attacks when they shovel. It was when the snow turned into small, biting, almost invisible flakes that you knew you were headed into a blizzard. He didn't say a word as I got out of the car. He followed close behind as I walked to the hobby store. I don't know what he did, perhaps some gesture or nod, but the cops acting like bouncers in front of the police tape didn't even blink as I walked past. I stepped through the shattered window and heard glass crunch beneath my feet. The store was dark now. Cold air was ruffling the pages of the various books on the shelves, and snow was drifting in and piling up on the carpeting inside the broken window. I could smell the blood. There were two detectives huddling in a corner, talking in hushed tones. The body had been removed at this point, but there was actually an outline in white tape on the floor where the body had been found. It was in that space between his office and the game room. Blood had stained the carpet a very dark purple. The piece of glass used to cut his throat had probably lain on the ground nearby where there was a smaller pool of dried blood. I walked around, careful not to step in anything. As the man had said, I didn't really learn anything. The puzzle box was gone. The air inside the store was cold. I shivered, but part of me knew the shivering was not due to the cold wind funneled through the broken window. I'm done, I said as I walked back out the broken window. He nodded at me as I walked past. Be careful, he replied. Remember, you're on your own. It took me a long time to get home. I had completely lost track of the time, but I knew it was very late. I had already decided that I was going to sleep in the next morning. I felt as if I would collapse into bed and fall instantly asleep. The wind chafed my skin as I walked from my car to my apartment. My legs felt like lead as I climbed the stairs. My apartment was cold and dark. I walked straight to the bedroom and undressed. I did not bother to put on pajamas. I turned on my electric blanket and crawled under. The sheets were smooth and cool. I closed my eyes and I felt myself relax. I was asleep very quickly. It seemed as if one moment I was awake and hearing the limited traffic as it crunched in the snow outside. The next moment, I was asleep. And that was when the dream started. 
I knew I was underwater, but at the same time I was not swimming. I was just there. I did not have to worry about getting air or paddling or kicking. I could feel the water around me, but not the pressure of the depth. It was dark, and yet I could see. Fish that appeared to glow in the dark darted around me. Suddenly, there were structures all around me. I was many miles below the surface of the ocean, and suddenly there were ancient structures that were far from man-made. These were buildings that had been below the sea since before man had been walking the earth. They were old, containing many forms of sea life, but I could tell that these had been constructed by hands that were not human. The buildings must have been enormous. I was drawn forward. The streets and structures below me went flying past. I was drawn to what looked like a mountain at the edge of the city. As I drew very close, I realized that this was some kind of temple or church. It was mountainous with windows that were like tiny slits. No fish darted or swam anywhere near this place. I felt a tremendous dread as I was pulled down toward a mammoth archway. It was dark as I was pulled down a long hallway so big that I couldn't see the ceiling or reach out my arms and feel the walls on either side of me. I came into a large room. In the center of it was a huge stone chair with a tremendously high back to it. It was a throne. Sitting on that throne, apparently made of stone, was a creature. When I saw it, my brain wanted to scream. I wanted to wake up. I was unable. It was huge. It was the biggest animal that ever existed. It was bigger than any dinosaur. It appeared to be made of lizard-like skin. Its feet and hands ended in huge claws. It got worse as I looked up its body. Its face was a mass of tentacles. Its eyes were evil and they glowed red. I wondered if the eyes were really rubies and if the creature was made entirely of stone. Then, as I drew closer, its hands moved and its head turned to look at me. Its eyes bored into me. My time is coming soon, a voice said. It was a voice that was all around me, somehow vibrating through the water. It was in my head. It was deep to the point that it went beyond sound. It seemed to rattle my bones. My time is coming soon, and soon I will arise. When I do, I shall bring with me all of them. We shall rule the planet again. It shifted in its seat. The tentacles around its mouth writhed and squirmed. I felt my gorge rise. I felt as if I would go mad. It leaned forward a bit, those horrible eyes burning right through me. What side will you be on? It said. I sleep, but I am aware. I dream, but I know. I shall wipe humanity from the face of the earth. It leaned back again, slowly, as if made of mobile stone. I could hear the rough sound its skin made, despite the fact I was underwater. Perhaps humanity deserves it. It said. My eyes shot open. Outside light poured through the slates of the blinds on my window. My heart was pounding. It was almost eight o'clock. Damn, I whispered. Chapter 19, 
summing things up. I woke up sometime in the middle of the morning. Outside, it was still snowing. The snow had piled up about a foot. The street outside my apartment was nearly dead. I turned on the weather, and the weatherman was telling everyone that they needed to stay home and that things were going to get much worse before they got any better. I barely noticed. I hopped into the shower and then ran out of the house with a piece of toast in my hand. The snow pelted my face as I walked, and I slipped several times in the snow. It took me an hour to make a drive that normally takes about 20 minutes in heavy traffic. However, as I stepped out of the car and into the street, the silence of the neighborhood around my office pierced my thoughts. I looked around and was amazed, as I often was, by the beauty of the snow in the city of Chicago. It created a kind of damper to the sounds of traffic. It was like being the only person in the world, and I loved it. I smiled as I struggled my way to the front door. I went upstairs and found Tracy there at her desk. I was so surprised I nearly fell back out the door of my office. Jesus, I said. I didn't think you'd be here with this weather. She shrugged. What else do I have to do? Plus someone has to work around here. I began removing my coat and kicking off my snow-covered shoes, which then got tossed in a corner that had a towel laid out on it for just such an occasion. I have been working, I said. The list of bodies has gotten at least one person longer. Her eyes grew wide. What? I have no time to explain, I said as I padded into the office. Let's do a whiteboard. I had a white dry erase board along one wall of my office. I used it sometimes when there were just too many facts in a case flying around. It helped me organize my thoughts. Tracy often sat in as I rambled on and wrote things on the whiteboard. She asked questions and helped me put things together. She came into the room with a yellow legal pad. I grabbed a blue marker and began to write as I chatted. I talked for the better part of an hour. I wrote names down, and then I drew lines to other names. Then I began writing places and events down one side and then the other. Then I drew more lines to the people connected with them. I had Carl's name in the middle. From that, I wrote Adam's name and drew a line. From Adam's name, I drew Candace's name. Then I began writing the names and descriptions of other people who were connected with Adam. Then I drew the name of the guy who ran the hobby shop and connected it with Carl. Then I drew X's across the people who were dead. I wrote down facts about the cult, about H.P. Lovecraft, and about my dreams along the side. When I stood back and looked at it, Tracy and I grew completely silent. I had my fingers to my chin. It was a complete mess. Oh, this didn't help, I said. I basically still have a lot of things happening, and there are too many damn people following me, but I have no actual facts. I have a talisman, or whatever the hell you want to call it, and a bunch of suspicions. I have a neurotic girl tasering me and telling me more crazy stuff, but no matter what I have, it all comes down to the fact that Carl is dead. I paused. What are you thinking? She asked as she stared at me. I keep thinking Carl left me something else. I said. I feel like maybe he left me a message somewhere. What makes you think that? I shrugged. I don't know. It just popped into my head like Carl was suddenly standing right over my shoulder whispering to me. 
I was standing here looking at this mess of writing on this stupid whiteboard, and suddenly it was like I was convinced Carl left me another message. Technically, he didn't leave you a first message. He left a box and a spot behind a mirror. It could have been for anyone. I held up my hand. Don't get technical with me. I think he knew I would find it. I don't know how I know that either, but I do. But it wouldn't be like him to just leave that box. That wouldn't be enough for him. I think he knew he was in trouble and he had something important. I think that's why he put it in that damn puzzle box. I think he knew I would end up with this case. I looked at Tracy. She was staring at me as if I were crazy. I know it sounds crazy, I said. Nothing about this entire case has been remotely sane, has it? Does it even sound remotely sane that Carl would kill himself? She shook her head. I think you want this to mean more than it does. I think you want this to be a bigger drama. You want to believe that the very existence of the world hangs in the balance, and the first domino was the death of your friend and former business partner. That's a lot of thinking from someone who hasn't been tasered, and who hasn't been having the dreams I've been having, and who hasn't spent hours talking to a police detective in a police station. Don't get mad, she said. I just want to try and be at least one rational person here. We paused again. Outside, a snowplow scraped its way along the street. I need to go back to his apartment, I said. She sighed. I knew you would say that. I took the talisman out of my pocket and put it on her lap. She picked it up and held it curiously in her hand. Hold on to this, I said, just in case someone else meets me with a damn taser. She nodded. I turned to walk back to the front of the office to put my shoes back on. Chapter 20. Images I drove over to Carl's apartment. It had long been abandoned by the police. I had no trouble walking in and getting through the door. I spent time just looking around the room and trying to see where Carl might have left me another message. I also moved the mirror in the bathroom to confirm that the space behind it was empty. Then I went back into the living room and stood there. No one had come and removed any of his stuff. His computer was still gone, but everything else was still there. Something about his bookshelf grabbed my attention. It was just one of those tinglings at the base of my spine that I had gotten before. I had long ago learned to trust it, and I spent time searching back and forth and scanning the books. Then it hit me. There were two of the same book on the middle shelf. It was a thick book of Sherlock Holmes stories. I knew Carl had always been a fan, but it was odd for him to have two complete volumes of all of the stories of Holmes. I opened the one on the left and found only pages and pages of text. As soon as I hefted the one on the right, I knew that it was what I was looking for. I opened the book, and inside it was hollowed out, and inside that hollow was a DVD. I smiled. Then I looked around again. Sure enough, his DVD player was still sitting beneath his flat-screen television in one corner. I paused to listen and make sure I was still alone and that none of the neighbors were stirring, and I walked over. I knelt down and opened the door. I turned on the television and turned on the DVD player. I hit play, and my hands were shaking. It was the very living room I was in now. More precisely, 
It was the area that Carl had turned into his work area. He had recorded this with his webcam. He was pale and looked nervous as he sat there in front of the camera. However, he was alive, and I felt a pang inside me for my dead friend. I had not given myself a chance to mourn, and I felt the tug strongly then. I fought it off. Hey there, I knew you'd find this. I'm recording this on a particularly snowy day, and I think I may soon be dead. Jesus, how the hell did I get into this? Look, the story itself is just too hard to tell. I can't even tell you how it started. I was trying to work on a book that had nothing to do with old horror story writers, and I found a brochure for this writer's retreat. I thought it might be good to hang around with some other writers and artist types and get some inspiration. I wish I had never seen that damn brochure. He paused and licked his lips. He looked around. Then he reached into his pocket, and he held up the talisman to the camera. It wasn't long before I met Adam, and I learned what that whole retreat was really about. Believe me when I tell you that these people are very serious. They're serious enough to kill as many people as they have to in order to get what they want. And what they want is nothing less than the destruction of the entire planet. They're about as much of a cult as any cult you've ever heard about or read about. They think that monsters asleep in the ocean and in other dimensions will come, save them, and destroy the rest of us. He licked his lips again. The crazy thing is that part of me started to believe them. I believed them enough to convince them that I believed them. So they revealed a lot to me. They showed me documents that they thought would show them where this talisman was. None of them could put it together. I guess it took a guy who writes detective novels and had been a detective to figure it out. It took a trip to Asia to get my hands on it, and I had to beg, borrow, and steal more than I ever thought I would have to. But I got it. I got it, and here it is, and now I have no idea what to do with it. He smiled a strange, crooked smile and stared at the talisman. I saw them at the airport when I got back. I knew it was them. I had seen at least one of them at the compound before. I led them on a merry chase through the airport. I, I think I lost them, but they know where I live. I think they know what I've done. I don't know how, but I think they do. He looked straight into the camera, and I felt like he was staring right into me. I think they may be right. They may be crazy, but it doesn't make them any less right. I think there really are monsters out there, and I think that if they get their hands on this talisman, they really might find out where a book is that can bring those monsters back. If they do that, then humanity won't last long. I think you need to destroy this talisman. I hope you find this DVD first. I'm going to put this behind the mirror in my bathroom. I don't think I'm going to be allowed to destroy this thing, so I'm hoping you're as good at being a detective as I think you are. I hope that you find this and you find the talisman. I don't think they will. I wish I could be the one to do this, but I can almost feel them coming for me as I speak. I don't think I'm going to last much longer. He paused. He opened his mouth and then closed it. Then he opened again. Then he sighed. I'll miss you. I'm trusting you. Do the right thing and bring them down. Okay, maybe this will all be paranoia and we can laugh about it. <laughs> I hope so. Until then, I guess it's goodbye. He reached out and shut off the camera. I felt a lump in my throat. I watched it again. Then I sat there and cried for a bit. 
I had to make a drive, I decided. I needed to visit a certain writer's retreat. Chapter 21, Preparation I drove back slowly to the office. I was shaking inside, but it was not from fear. I was angry now. I could not believe that these psychos had killed my friend, and I was going to make them pay for this. Then I saw a strange man in glasses standing on a corner not far from my office, and my blood turned cold. I had no idea what it was about him that made me think I had seen him before, but I realized he was probably the man who had been outside the back of my apartment and spoken to me not long after I had stumbled into this mess. He smiled at me as I drove past, my car crawling along as the huge flakes continued to fall, and then he raised his right hand. He had no gloves on. He saluted me and nodded. His glasses were shining as if reflecting a bright light despite the thick clouds. I stared into those blank eyes as I drove past, my head turning as I moved past him until I could not turn my head anymore. I drove to a spot behind the building I worked in and sat there for a moment. Then I shut off the car and made my way quickly towards the front door of my office. When I turned out of the alley and made a right, the man in glasses was standing there. He was still smiling. Somehow his glasses still did not reveal his eyes. Hello, detective, he said in that cold voice he had spoken to me with that night. Lovely weather we're having, aren't we? Get out of my way, I said as I reached into my pocket and clutched the folded knife I kept there. I'm just walking past, detective, he said as he cocked his head to the side. No need to grab any weapons. I don't like knives. I felt my blood turn again into ice cubes. I tightened my grip on the knife. What do you want? Just to remind you that you have a job to do, he said. I hope you haven't gotten distracted. I hope you haven't been speaking to people who will put strange thoughts in your head. I hope you're going to find the object that we have asked you to find. He nodded and then walked away. A gust of wind suddenly kicked snow into my face and I blinked. When I was done blinking and my vision had cleared, he was gone. I looked down and saw that there were no footprints in the snow. Screw you, I whispered. I ran up the steps and into the office. Tracy was there behind the desk, but she was chewing the end of a pen. She jumped when I came in. What did you find? She asked. I found a video Carl left for me, I said. Then I ran into the same guy who was standing outside my apartment right outside the office. She shivered. What? He was right outside here while I was in here all alone? I nodded. Carl said on the video that he thinks these guys might be for real, and that all of the things they believe in might be real. I'm not so sure, but I'm more sure than ever that they killed him. Call that police detective guy, she said. Tell them and let them do some kind of raid on that place up north. I shook my head as I rooted through a closet. I found a small gun and bullets and put them in my jacket pocket. When Tracy saw the gun, she gasped. What are you doing? She asked. Make preparations, I replied. I then reached again and pulled out more knives. I put one at the small of my back and strapped another to my ankle. She put a hand on my shoulder. You are not going up there, 
she said firmly and without a question in her voice. You are not going up there and facing a potential army of nutjobs who think they can bring back monsters to end the world. You are not. I looked into her eyes. She was genuinely worried. She had known Carl as well, and until now, I had not seen how upset she actually was about his death. She was barely holding it together now. I have to, I said. I opened my mouth to say more, but then I closed it. Instead, I leaned in and kissed her firmly on the lips. She seemed surprised at first and then kissed me back. It was not romantic. I don't know what it was. It just felt like the right thing to do. It felt like a goodbye. What am I supposed to do? She asked. Go home, I said. Lock your doors and don't answer the phone unless you know who it is. Don't answer the door. Don't even read your emails. Just stay home and wait until you hear from someone. From you, she said. I looked at her again. From me or that police detective. How am I supposed to hear from anyone if I'm not supposed to answer the door or phones? She asked. I walked past her toward the door. Don't bother me with details right now. She laughed. I opened one more closet, this one near the door, and removed a shotgun. I grabbed boxes of shells and then walked out the door. I did not look back. Chapter 22 Heading North I started the car and I felt as if a hot stone had been implanted in my stomach. I could not shake the feeling that I had just spoken to Tracy for the last time. I suddenly had the feeling that everything I was doing was for the last time. The world itself seemed drained of color, and it had nothing to do with the fact that it was snowing and the world looked white. Even the white snow seemed more gray than white. I started to drive. The roads were relatively empty. I heard a snowplow somewhere with the huge blades scraping against the asphalt. My car crunched through the snow. The world seemed empty, and I would not have been surprised to see one of the mythical monsters that Adam claimed he believed in suddenly appear over the rooftops of the houses and buildings I drove past. Somehow, it would have seemed right. I clutched the steering wheel and felt the weight of the gun in my waistband. I could feel another gun in my shoulder holster I had stored in the back seat. I hadn't actually shot any of these weapons in a long time. I had never, ever shot at another person. I realized how ridiculous my entire plan was. I really didn't have a plan. Did I think I was just going to walk in through the front gate with guns blazing? I had no idea how many cultists I was even potentially facing. I had no idea if they had weapons. I shivered and turned the heat up in my car. When my cell phone started ringing, I nearly jumped right out of my skin, and the car actually skidded in the snow. I cursed under my breath and fought to retain control of my car. When it was under control again, I fished my phone out of the inside coat pocket. It was the detective. Your assistant just called me, he said. She says you're headed up to the writer's retreat. Yes, I said. What do you think you're going to do up there by yourself? He asked. I'm just going to end up with another disappeared person or another dead body. Neither of those things sound particularly appealing or useful for my investigation. You said you wanted me to act on my own. I replied as I tried to drive carefully with only one hand. I cursed myself for never getting a headset. I'm headed up there. I have to. I have to talk to Adam. 
You've got revenge on your mind, he said. Am I going to have to put you in jail? What good does that do you or your dead friend and his family? What do you want me to do? I said, with my voice getting higher and louder. Should I just sit in my office? Do I wait for them to show up at my apartment again? What do you want me to do? Relax, he said. I'm just suggesting you play this smarter. Let me get a team together. Let me call the state police and get a whole bunch of cops to go up there. He'll see you guys coming from a mile away, I said. The state cops are going to be tied up due to the snow anyway. The city cops are as well, and this place isn't even in their jurisdiction. It makes more sense for me to go up there and see if I can find anything. They might be dealing with the snow as well. Maybe the whole place will still be quiet and I can sneak around. There was silence. You have no plan, do you? Look, leave me alone. I shouldn't be driving in this weather with just one hand. I hit the button and shut off the call. I tossed the phone in the seat next to me. I grabbed the wheel and made a right. Now there was traffic. I felt a snowplow rush past me, kicking up a huge plume of snow which spattered across the windshield. I turned on the wipers and then turned on the radio. Music filled the car and I forced myself to try and relax. My tires finally touched asphalt instead of snow. It was like the way was clearing in front of me. I headed north. Before too long, the houses began to thin out. The trees became more abundant. I could see hints of the gray and cold lake to my right. It was like I was driving backwards in time. I could almost feel Adam's strange eyes peering into my brain. For the first time, as I looked at the frozen land around me, I almost felt myself believing all of the things that Adam claimed he believed in. I could feel huge, hideous, nameless creatures hiding just beyond the fabric of the reality I had come to trust. They were watching me and marking me. They were probing my mind, and they wanted to know what I was doing. I shuddered and ran my hand over my face. Then I opened the window and let the bitter cold wind, still thick with snow, batter my visage. I shook my head, and the feeling of being watched diminished. I was frustrated that it did not vanish. I turned the music up louder. I headed north, and I could feel Adam and his followers waiting there for me. Tune in to the season finale next week for the final part of this detective story, When the Night Comes Out. You've been listening to When the Night Comes Out, a weekly horror anthology podcast with stories by Brian W. Alaspa and narrated by Ali James. For Brian's work, visit his website at www.brianwalaspa.com or visit Amazon.com for his books of fiction and nonfiction. Be sure to listen to Ali's work on Facebook at Ali James Projects.